I wish you a good morning as well. I'm going to invite you to find 2 Samuel chapter 18 in your Bible. Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 18. We will be back in the Gospel of Luke, Lord willing, next Sunday, learning about the kingdom of God. Today we're in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 18. Uh, A really good question for a church to ask, I think maybe the best question for a church to ask, is how can we cultivate love for God? I know that you know a lot about God. I know that you defend God in the public, in a public forum. I know that you're trying really hard to obey God. You know about God and you defend God and you're trying to obey God. Do you love God? Is there any affection in your heart for God? How does a church cultivate love for God? I want you to love God. I want to love God. And I spend a lot of time thinking about that question. Not just this past week. I spend, as in ongoing, I spend a lot of time thinking about that question. How do we cultivate love for God? And here's where I've landed, at least for today is that we cultivate love for God by trying to understand how much God loves us. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to try just a little bit harder and a little bit longer and one more time trying to understand how much God loves us. And our avenue for doing that today is 2 Samuel 18, looking at this relationship between King David and his son Absalom. Looking at this, what I'm calling unbreakable, illogical love of David for his son Absalom. David had several sons. One of them was a really, really, really impressive man named Absalom. And when Absalom was an adult, his dad is still king. When Absalom was an adult, he gathered a group of supporters around him, and he led a coup against his own dad. King David had to flee from Jerusalem ahead of his son's arrival in the city, and Absalom set himself up as king. 
And that lasted a few days until a battle between his army and his dad's army settled the matter. And David's army won and Absalom's army lost and Absalom died and David remained king. And amid all of the historical details about what happened, and amid all of the geography, all the description that we get in 2 Samuel 18, there's this huge tide of emotion that runs through the whole account because of this dynamic between father and son. And that's the dynamic that we're going to look into this morning as we're trying to learn about our own relationship with the Father, okay? We're going to read the text first. I'm going to start in verse 9, 2 Samuel 18, 9. So we're going to read the account of Absalom's death, and then we're going to move ahead to the account of David learning about Absalom's death, that his son Absalom actually did die in the battle in spite of David's specific command to his generals that if they found Absalom, they weren't to hurt him. They did anyway. Second Samuel 18, beginning in verse 9, we'll read about seven verses and then skip down to verse 31, okay? All right, now if you're able, let's stand in honor of God and his word. Second Samuel 18, beginning in verse 9. Absalom and Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. So this is during the battle. Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Which is a bad thing because they're on opposite sides. Absalom was riding on a mule and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak and his head caught fast in the oak and he was suspended between heaven and earth while the mule that was under him went on. And a certain man saw it and told Joab. Okay, so Joab's the commander of the army. A certain man saw it and he told Joab, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Joab said to the man who told him, What? You saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake, protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there's nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Joab said, I will not waste time like this with you. He took three javelins in his hand and he thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Now verse 31. And behold, the Cushite came. Um that is, uh, came to David, okay, this is a a messenger who happens to be from the land of Cush. The Cushite came and the Cushite said, good news for my lord the king, 
For the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand who, from, excuse me, from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved. He went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would that I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Please be seated. We didn't read the whole account. If, uh, if we had taken time to read like all four chapters, at the end of it, there are still two huge questions that hang over this account. There are two great mysteries that we just can't get over as we read about what happened between the king and his son. And all we're going to do is talk about those two questions and think about them together. The first question is this. This is the first great mystery. This really is a question for Absalom. It's this question. How could you rebel against your father? How could you rebel against your father, the king? Absalom's dad is the king, but he wants to be king. The throne is not rightfully his, but he presumes to take it anyway. You know, we might be able to understand Absalom's conspiracy if, um, if his dad was cruel or evil. Or if David had treated Absalom with contempt. Treated him badly. We might be able to understand that and say, okay, this relationship has broken down and... There's a reason why Absalom would want to be cruel to his dad. But you know what? The opposite is actually true. David had been kind to his son. Absalom's conspiracy against his dad takes place in the context of kindness. After Absalom had killed his own brother, okay, this is earlier, we didn't... We didn't read this part, but this is the beginning of the story. After Absalom had killed his own brother, so one of David's other sons, by a different mother. After Absalom had killed his own brother and lived as a fugitive for a period of time, away from the presence of the king. By the way, who does that remind you of? Who else killed his own brother and lived as a fugitive away from the presence of the king. Just like Cain who killed his brother Abel. Absalom lived as a fugitive. But instead of punishing him and putting, or putting him to death, David allowed Absalom to come back to Jerusalem and David kissed him. 
and welcomed him back into his presence. And it was in this context of kindness and grace that Absalom began his conspiracy to take the throne. He rebelled against a father that had been kind to him. And this is a window into our own hearts and our own relationship with God as human beings and how we have rebelled against God in a context of kindness. And the easiest place to see this is looking back to the garden, the Garden of Eden, our first parents, Adam and Eve. They didn't rebel against God in a context of oppression and evil. Their rebellion against God was in the context of just the opposite, in the context of all that provision and all the food, the food and all the beauty and all of the protection and all of the care and God's very presence with them. It was in that context that they said no to God and rebelled against him. It was an ideal context. But they said to him, we will not have you as an authority over us. We will be an authority unto ourselves. And likewise, we, so now we're drawing a connection between what Adam and Eve did and what we have played out in our own lives. We too have rebelled against God in a context of kindness and common grace. God has poured all of this beauty and protection and food and shelter and the availability of his presence into our lives. And instead of gratitude, we have used our life and our breath to multiply our offenses against God. We have taken the minutes that God has graciously given us And we have used those additional minutes to multiply our offenses against God. At least I know I did that this week. We're all complicit in this rebellion against God. Adam and Eve started it. We have jumped in. With joy. You might consider yourself to be a good person. This is what the scriptures say about you and about me. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Doesn't that just describe us perfectly? Our fundamental sin, your fundamental sin, is that you have not allowed God to be God. You want to be God and to decide and to judge. 
Absalom's words at the beginning of his conspiracy, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 15 and read what was on his mind as he was starting this conspiracy against his dad, his words at the very beginning of the conspiracy are the cry of every human heart. He stands there outside and all the people are coming to him and he says, oh, that I were judge in the land. Oh, that I were the one who could decide on everything what's right and what's wrong. And that's exactly what we want to do. Oh, that I were judge. To decide what's okay and what's not okay. Everyone wants to do that. Everyone wants to play God. And like Absalom, our rebellion against God doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. God has been kind. We simply lust to be king. And we refuse to live under the authority of another. We are the great lusting self in the shadow of the great holy God. And we want his place. The only other thing to say regarding this first question, how could you rebel against your dad? The only other thing to say is just to recognize that rebels deserve to die. Rebels deserve death. Like, when you start a rebellion, you know going in, if it doesn't succeed, I'm dead. That you don't come back from being a rebel unless you kill the king. Rebels deserve death. It's not survivable. And they should die at the hands of the rightful king. And regarding our rebellion against God, God is not overthrowable. It's an insane rebellion. It's futile, and we deserve to die. There's this great irony in verse 18 of chapter 18 about Absalom's life. When you get to 1818, you read that he died without a son and there's no one to carry on his, um, his name. He has no heir. And he makes this big monument for himself and, and sets it up right there outside Jerusalem because he has no, because he's afraid that no one will remember him. And the great irony is that he who had no heir has billions of heirs. All of us, we are all Absalom. We bear his resemblance exactly. And that's the great irony. He had no heir of his own, but everyone is an heir of Absalom. We are him. And we all deserve to die. Now, there's one other question, one other great mystery. I think this mystery is a greater one than the first one. First question is, how could you rebel against your dad? I think this question is more mysterious. And maybe the great mystery of all time the question that we might have for David, why would you want to die for this son? 
Why would David, the humiliated, exiled king, wish that he could have died so that his son Absalom could live one more day? kind of love is this? Question one was a look into our own hearts. Question two is a look into the heart of God as pictured in the love of King David for his son. And the king was deeply moved. This is verse 33. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son. My son Absalom, would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So the rebel who displaced him is dead. And instead of feeling joy or relief, David mourns. And more than that, more than simply mourning his loss, he longs to have been the one that died that day so that his son might be alive. And this scene that we're observing here in the last three verses of chapter 18, this scene is going to lead us straight into the heart of God. Let's let's begin here. Let's begin by understanding that Absalom had done seemingly everything possible to get outside of his dad's love. Here's a list of his offenses against his dad. These are things that he did to his dad. As we mentioned, he killed his half-brother. That's not a bad start, is it? That's chapter 13. He had killed his brother. Secondly, chapter 15, he had stolen the hearts of the people. He stole the hearts of the people of the nation. What does that mean? It means that he used all of his charm and his gifts to capture the esteem and the admiration of the people for his own advancement. He used all of his charm and his gifts to capture the esteem and the admiration of the nation. He positioned himself as the one who cared about the people. And his father as being aloof and uncaring. He'd killed his half-brother. He stole the hearts of the people. Number three, he gathered a group of conspirators. That's chapter 15. Starts gathering people around him to strengthen what he wants to do for himself. Gathers a group of conspirators. Chapter 15. Number four, he took over the royal palace 
After he was strong enough, he marched into the city. He took over the royal palace. And as a first order of business, he makes a a brazen show of sensuality with his father's concubines on the roof of the palace. He did that for the expressed purpose of letting the whole nation know for sure that the breach with his father was final. This is not a run-of-the-mill family dust-up that's going to clear after a few days. What he did with his father's concubines in public, on the roof, was a way of shouting to the whole nation, the breach with my father is complete and final. And as to you, dad, I hate you. And I am done with you. And I am the king now. And then finally, number five, he makes war against his dad. This chapter 17, verse 24. Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. He's going after his dad. He's going out to kill his dad. And notice that Absalom gave no orders concerning the care for his father as his father did for him. Nothing here like, hey, when you come across my dad, make sure you take care of him. Nothing. Let me ask you a question. What more could Absalom have done to his dad to make his sin against him worse? What could be added to this list? to increase the offense. I can't think of anything. We're just noticing that Absalom displayed utter contempt for his father. He did seemingly everything possible to be as offensive as possible. He worked as hard as he could to get outside the love of his father. And he would have killed him if he had the chance. And for this son, David wished that he could have died in his place. Apparently, David's love for his son Absalom is unbreakable. Apparently, there is nothing that Absalom could have done that would have made his dad stop loving him. He tried. Absalom tried. He tested the love of his father to the absolute limits. He did it all. He poured out a torrent of sin. He drained himself dry. He spent himself in sin until he had nothing left. 
Absalom spent himself in sinning against his dad. And David spends himself in weeping and longing for his son. And this, we are saying, pictures the heart of God for the rebellious sinner. I just want to stop for a moment and press this home to you. Did you know that a love of this strength, this unbreakable and illogical love, exists for you? Did you know that there's literally nothing you can do to get yourself outside the love of God? Did you know that the most premeditated, sinful sins, the most sinful things you can think of, if you were to commit them, could not get you outside the love of God? Most of all, did you know that God has done for you what David only wished that he could do? For his son. David longed to die in his son's place, suspended between heaven and earth. David thought, oh, that I could have been the one suspended between heaven and earth and pierced through. God took flesh in the person of Jesus, hangable, pierceable flesh. And took his place in the tree, suspended between heaven and earth, pierced through. in the place of the rebel. God fulfilled the great longing of a loving father. The, the longing that could, it could be him instead of the rebel. God actually could do it. And he chose to do it. And he actually did it. What David wanted to do and could only long to do, God did. Jesus, the greater David, the suspended one, the pierced one, was on the cross in the place of the rebel because of the great love of the Father for sinners. He hung and he was pierced and he died.
I, I don't know how you've come to picture God. I don't know what kind of a picture comes into your mind when you think about God. And we've got a lot of unhelpful ways of thinking about God and talking about God. And we've got all these offhand ways of referring to God. We talk about the man upstairs. We talk about God in a very folksy, offhand way, just call him the good Lord. And all of these ways of talking about God reveal that we just haven't really understood who he is and what he's like. Do you want to know what God is like? This is what God is like. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would that I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And then God went out and actually did it. He actually climbed onto the tree and took the place of the rebel so that the rebel, you and I, could live. And if you are not in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if you have not believed in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, if you'll permit me, I just want to stand here with you for about 60 seconds longer Looking up into this tree, not the tree of Absalom, but the cross of Jesus, I just want to stand with you for one more minute looking up into this tree and ask you if you have ever known that the man hanging there is there in your place, that he died for your rebellion against God. Why is he there instead of you? Because God, moved by love, desired to suffer in your place so that you could live and live forever with him and receive his perfect, unbreakable love. And this tree that we're looking at is the only place to receive the love of God. Because it's the only place that tells the whole story. That you really are a rebel and really deserve death, but God really did die in your place, in the person of Jesus, suspended between heaven and earth and pierced through because of the great love with which he has loved us. The love of a father that would take the place of a son, even a rebellious son, even an offensive son. Don't forget the tree. It tells us who we are. And more importantly, it tells us who God is to his everlasting glory and fame. He did it.
Father, I, I pray that the, the one who feels unloved would see the great love today, the love that knows no boundaries, the love that extends so far as to even love someone who's spent themselves, spent themselves in sin, to bring them home and give them a hug and call them son and call them daughter. Thank you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.